Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, good morning, everyone. Happy Easter. And happy Easter to those of you who are joining us online today. And for those of you who are here for the first time, we're so glad you could be with us this morning at Cross Point. Uh, we are today going to be talking about hope because Easter is a day of hope. It is a day when believers all across the globe gather together to worship Jesus, our resurrected Messiah. And because of his resurrection, we have hope ultimate hope. So I'm excited that you get to hear about hope this morning. Uh, I, I do want to let you know by the end of the gathering this morning, if you felt like we didn't sing quite enough this morning, we are going to be singing a little bit later on, and we're going to allow hope to rise up in our hearts. Because I think more than ever, we need hope. We are hope-fueled creatures, hope-fed beings. I think we would much rather prefer to be hopeful than to be hopeless. You know, years ago, I, I had the privilege of leading a team of high school, high school students in a summer outreach program. The program was called Street Invaders. Uh, the students all gathered for a week-long boot camp in a small town in Saskatchewan, and then we were dispersed across Western Canada to go to different cities to share the love of Jesus. Uh, sadly, this ministry did involve a lot of mime. Uh, I'm confessing, okay? Uh, I was leading the team to Nanaimo, British Columbia, and, and so we, had, we were, had a number of teams that were together driving across the country in this large chartered bus, okay? Uh, well, that morning, five minutes before the bus left, the leaders of the organization decided that they were going to make me the bus captain. So that meant I was in charge of the bus to make sure that the bus got to all of its different destinations. And at first I thought, wow, they must think I'm an extraordinary leader. Later, as I reflected, I realized I was the last stop on the bus, so that's why I was the bus captain. Anyway, so, so the journey went along really well. We, we started in Lethbridge, then we got to Calgary, then we got to Banff. But the real trouble happened when we got outside of Hope, British Columbia. So we were in climbing this immense hill outside of the city, and as we were climbing this immense hill, the bus broke down. Uh, what had happened was it had blown an air shock. I don't know if you've ever gotten on a bus, and it goes, and the bus kind of rises. Well, one of the air shocks on the right side of the bus had blown, which meant that when the bus was driving, it leaned dangerously to the right. And dangerous to see the right means those who are looking on the right side were looking down a 100-foot precipice, down into the bottom of the, you know, kind of the ravine here. So the bus driver says, you know, we can't go on. We have to stop. Stop the bus, you know, kind of leveled out. And we kind of figured out, well, what are we going to do, right? Because, I mean, everything had been going so well, but these kids were pumped, right? They were pumped to, to take part in Christ's mission. They'd raised support. They'd trained. They'd given up sleep. They'd swallowed their fears. And now here we were, stuck on the side of the road, outside of hope, B.C. Now, I'm going to come back to this story a little bit later on. But I want you to ask yourself a question this morning. What about you? Have you ever found yourself beyond hope? You know, I, I find these days that it is very hard to know where to find hope. I mean, can, can we find hope for affordable living, right? When we see rising inflation and gas prices. Can, can we hope for peace on earth when, when we're seeing war in Europe? Where do we find hope in a, in a, in a polarized world that is full of disinformation? Is it, is it in our technology, you know, that, where companies are sometimes rigging things for profit? Is it in our role models who slap each other on stage during the Oscars? 
Is it in our healthcare system, right, which, which is just struggling to try and keep up? You know, I, I think the, the pandemic has, has eroded hope in so many people. I mean, it, it's, it's kind of disrupted it all across the globe because it's been happening for such a long time. I mean, we didn't know when the pandemic would end. We didn't know how it would end. We don't even still know what's going to happen. So, so many of the hopes that we'd been clinging to together for so many years were kind of pried from our fingers. It's, it's generated a global sense of hopelessness. So, so where, do we, where do we find hope? Where, what hope can we hold on to in this day and age? Well, this brings us to this morning's scripture. And it's found in John chapter 20. And if you have a Bible handy, I'm going to get you to turn with me this morning, paper or digital, otherwise. Um, if, you're just, if you're just here and you don't have a Bible, that's fine. We're going to have it up on screen and you can follow along. But we're going to be reading a story about Mary Magdalene and how she discovered hope when hope was lost. And the story takes place on that very first Easter morning almost 2,000 years ago. We pick up the story in verse 11, and I'll read it and you can follow. But Mary, Mary Magdalene, stood weeping outside the tomb, And as she wept, she stopped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, Well, they've taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and and I will take him away. And Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. And Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, and that he had said these things to her. This is the word of our God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for for your living word, and and thank you that you've just given this great gift to us, um, your people. And I pray, Lord, as, as we dive into Mary's story and we dive into your word, that you would dive into our hearts, that by your spirit, you would speak to us, I pray for hope to rise up in us. I pray that some would experience hope for the very first time today. I give you thanks now in Jesus' name. And everyone said? Amen. 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 Okay. So, so, so Mary's story, Mary Magdalene's story, is a story of hope both lost and found. And, and to really fully grasp this encounter with Jesus, it's important that we go back and we look at Mary's backstory. See, see, there's been a lot of speculation about who this Mary Magdalene was, um, but most of it is, is often unreliable or, or even fictional. So, so don't believe everything you read in Dan Brown's The Vinci Code, and, and don't believe everything that you see in Jesus Christ Superstar. Mary Magdalene wasn't a prostitute. She wasn't in a relationship with Jesus, okay? But the Gospels do re- reveal some details of her story. And, and it turns out that Magdalene was her last name. That was not her last name. Sorry, it was not her last name, but it was in fact... It spoke of her origins because Mary was from the region of Magdala on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. So what it means is Mary from Magdala, Mary Magdalene. And interestingly, both Mark and Luke's Gospels say that Jesus had set Mary free from demon possession um, and, and, and that seven evil spirits had actually come out of her, 
which means that Jesus had played a very significant and a powerful role in Mary's life. I've tried to fill in the blanks on this. You know, I've tried to imagine Mary's first encounter with Jesus. That, that for much of Mary's life, she had never really been herself. Her mind always hazy, her thoughts never her own. Um, tormented by voices, maybe impulses or, or fears. She might have even been shunned. Her family might have even tucked her away and tried to keep her hidden. She would have spent a lot of time alone with her tormentors. So she had a life that was, that was devoid of hope. And then one day, she met Jesus, and everything changed. With a word, her tormentors were gone. It was like dark clouds had, had rolled back in her mind, and she had seen the sunshine for the very first time in her life. And Jesus stood before her, smiling, and he called her by name, Mary. Yes, yes, that was her name. She was Mary. And that day, she found her hope, her hope in the one who had rescued her. And that day, she clung to him, like a drowning man holding onto a life preserver. Now, Luke's gospel says that, that Mary Magdalene joined Jesus' large entourage of traveling disciples. In fact, it was Mary and a number of other women who funded Jesus' mission. They paid for it, which means that Mary Magdalene was a person of means. She had a lot of money. And Mary went on so many amazing adventures with Jesus. She would have seen Jesus heal the, lame, heal the lame, give sight to the blind, cast out demons, cleanse the lepers. She would have heard his powerful teachings, witnessed the large clouds flock to him, watched him restore outcasts, calling out the Pharisees, all of that. Those were great days, good days, the best moments of Mary's life. You know, I'm sure most of us have experienced moments in our life when, when hope came to life. When you received maybe that, that college acceptance letter, or you got the call back to that audition, or, or, or when you went and, and you got the job interview you always wanted, when the pregnancy test came back positive, when the letter from the bank said that your mortgage was approved, or when you finally got up the courage to say hi to that girl, and she said, hi back. These are moments when life gives birth to hope. But then Mary's life took a tragic turn, and she began to lose her grip on her hope. As the story goes, Jesus was arrested. He was falsely tried and sentenced to death. And Mary Magdalene witnessed the horror of it all. She saw him staggering through the streets of Jerusalem, dragging a wooden beam on ragged shoulders, ripped of flesh, stumbling with exhaustion, taunted by the crowds. She would have followed him up to Golgotha, the place of the skull, the execution grounds for Roman dissidents. And she stood nearby as the soldiers smashed cold iron through his feet and hands. She watched her hope get hoisted up into the air as he slowly suffocated one rasping breath at a time. And she heard him cry out, it is finished in his last dying breath. And her hope was ripped from her heart that day. But Mary, of course, she couldn't let go. I mean, she just kept grasping at hope. She reaching through the dark. So, so she followed the man, the man who had taken Jesus' body to the tomb, Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea. 
And she and another Mary had sat down nearby, watching them put the body into the tomb. And as the day dimmed, she saw their pale silhouettes inside the tomb, hastily wrapping Jesus' body, hastily trying to prepare it with with spices, trying to get the job done before sundown because the Sabbath was coming. But eventually they had to halt their work. They couldn't complete it all. And so they left Jesus' body on the preparation table. And when they rolled the stone into place, Mary's hope was gone forever. And then for one dark day, Mary grieved while Jesus' body laid in the tomb. And and I think many of us can, in in some small way, identify with Mary. Because we know that that our hopes can be snatched up in a moment. Life has this way of just, just sucking the hope right out of us. Layoffs, health problems, broken promises, betrayal. Your life savings cut in half. Your kids running wild despite your best efforts. The failures of your past eventually coming and catching up with you. You know, that's the thing about hopes is this hope is, is so hard to hold on to. But then, Easter Sunday came. The light of a new dawn. And it says that Mary went to the tomb before sunup. Because there was still one more thing that she could do for Jesus. To give him the burial that he deserved. To finish wrapping his body and preparing it with spices. And there were other Marys with her, uh, and people with her as well, other women. But John is just telling us Mary's story today. But when she got to the tomb, she discovered that the the, the stone was rolled away. And she discovered that the tomb was empty. So what did she do? She raced back to the disciples and she told them. She said, listen, they've taken the Lord from the tomb. And we don't know where, where they've taken him. So then the disciples, Peter and John, had a sprinting match to the tomb while Mary kind of trailed behind. They went inside, they saw the empty grave clothes, and then they went home wondering what it was that they had in fact witnessed, what it all meant. And this is where we pick up the story today in John chapter 20. So while all of this has happened, Mary's outside the tomb, and Mary's crying. And this wasn't like some soft whimpering. I mean, the the Greek word here actually means unrestrained wailing. So big, ugly cry, mascara dripping from your face, snot running down from your nose. And wasn't it enough that they had stolen her hope? Did they now have to steal his body and defile it? See, it's important to know that that in that day, um, the Jews uh, believed that their dead were to be honored through a very proper burial. So who would do such a thing to Jesus? Was it robbers? Was Was it the Roman soldiers? So then it says that Mary stooped down and she looked inside the tomb. And when she looked inside the tomb, she saw two angels. And they were seated on either side of this preparation table, like two guardian cherub angels over the mercy seat of God in the tabernacle. And they asked her a question. Woman, why are you crying? Which when you think about it, might have seemed a little bit rude. I mean, if I was Mary, I'd think that's a little bit rude. Angels or whatever, it's rude. But this was more of a statement than it was a question. Because if Mary knew the truth about Jesus, Mary would not be crying. But of course, she's too upset to know the difference between a statement and a question. So she, she just gives them an honest answer. She just says, listen, they've taken away my Lord away, and I don't, I don't know where they put him. And then in that moment, she says that she turned around, and in the dim morning, morning light, eyes blurry with tears, Jesus stood before him. But of course, she didn't recognize him. She just thought he was the gardener. And Jesus asked her the very same question. Woman, why are you crying? Again, this is a statement. It's not a question. 
But then Jesus asked her another question. Whom are you seeking? Whom are you seeking? It's a great question. I think it's a great question for you this morning. Whom are you seeking? And this might seem like maybe a bit of a throwaway question, but it wasn't. This was, in fact, a loaded question. And that's the thing about Jesus. Jesus never asks us throwaway questions. The questions that Jesus asks us always cause us to probe deeper. Whom are you seeking? You see, Jesus had actually asked this question before. In the Garden of Gethsemane. You might remember the story. An angry mob have come to arrest him, led by Judas, the disciple who had betrayed him. You read about it in John chapter 18. They came armed with weapons and torches. There were people and there were soldiers. And Jesus asked them this very same question when they showed up. Whom do you seek? And they replied, Jesus of Nazareth. And then Jesus said to them, I am. Which was shorthand. It was a very shorthand and very Jewish way of saying, I am the Lord. Because this was the very same name that Moses had given when he asked the Lord, who should he say sent him? Lord, who should I say? Who has sent me? And the Lord says, I am has sent you. I am sent you. I am the one who has always been, all-knowing, all-powerful, all-sufficient. I am. So Jesus is saying, listen, who do you find with your torches and your swords when you came into the garden? I am. And he said it in that moment with such power and with such force. It says that the mob actually shrunk back. Hardened veteran soldiers who had killed hundreds fell to the ground cowering. They came looking to arrest the man Jesus and they came up against the great I am. And now two chapters later, Jesus asks Mary the very same question. Whom are you seeking? As if to say, do you really know who you're looking for? Do you really know? Because if you really knew who you were looking for, you would not be weeping. Woman, you would be ecstatic. But in that moment, Mary still didn't recognize who Jesus was. It says she thought he was the gardener, which isn't hard to imagine. I mean, her eyes are full of tears. She's caught up in her grief like a tangle of thorns. And this is a day where it's early morning light, okay? There's no street lights. There's no, there's no electricity in that day. And then so in one word, Jesus awakened her from her stupor. With one word, he sparked her recognition. And she recognized him. She recognized the voice that had commanded her freedom so many years ago. The voice that had called her out of darkness into her light. He spoke one word. He called her name. You see, a name is a powerful thing. I don't know if you notice this, but you can be in a crowded room with a whole bunch of people. But if you hear your name, your ears perk up and you turn towards whoever called your name. The famous motivational speaker Dale Carnegie once said, A person's name is, to that person, the sweetest, most important sound in any language. Jesus called Mary by name. But more than that, he called her by name in her own language. And this gets lost in our English translations. But he actually used the Aramaic name, Miriam, instead of the Greek name, Mary. Miriam is the name her mother would have called her. Miriam is the name that Jesus would have used when he called her out of darkness and into the light. Friends, do you know this morning that Jesus knows your name? Do you know that he calls you by name? 
John 10.3 says that the good shepherd calls his sheep by name and he leads them. Isaiah 49.16 says that your name is printed on the very palms of his hands. God knows you intimately. He calls you by name. You have not been forgotten. And so Mary responded back in her own language in Aramaic. And she said, Rabboni, which means beloved teacher, Rabbi. And we can infer from the story that she grabbed a hold of Jesus. She was not going to let go of her hope again. And then we read Jesus' response. And I just want to read it for us again today in, in verse 17. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. So why did, why did Mary hold on to Jesus? You know, and, and why did Jesus tell her, don't hold on to me, don't cling to me? I mean, was Jesus like, ooh, girl germs, right? Or, or he's like, don't touch me, right? Well, that's not true because in the next story, Jesus actually told Thomas, touch me, touch my side, touch my hands and feet. So Jesus didn't have an aversion to touch in his resurrected form. To be clear, he wasn't saying, do not touch me. He was saying, Mary, you have to let me go. You can't hold on to me for so long. And the reason was is that Jesus had not yet completed his mission. He still needed to go to the Father, just as he had told his, sup- his disciples uh, at the Last Supper on the night he was betrayed. He told them, listen, I'm going to go, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to prepare a place for him. And when I go, I'm going to send the promised Holy Spirit, and through the Holy Spirit, every follower of Jesus will be filled with God's power so that they can carry out my mission to the entire world, to save the entire world. Unless I go, the Spirit cannot come to you, so I have to go. I have to ascend to the Father. I cannot stay. So don't hold on to me, Mary. Instead, go and tell the disciples everything you've seen. Tell them I'm alive and that I'm ascending just as I promised. Mary, there is a hope beyond all hopes for you to hold on to. It is the hope of the resurrection made possible through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the Messiah. And friends, today, this is where our story intersects with Mary's story. Because this is the very same hope that we are offered this morning. A hope that is available to each and every one of us. A hope that we can hold on to. A hope that we can participate in. Where is the believer's ultimate hope? It is not in government. It is not in leaders. It is not in institutions. It is not in technology. It is not in healthcare. It is not in social media influencers. It is not in family. It's not in friends. It's not in things. It's not even in the church. All the hopes we have in this life are uncertain or unenduring. We need a hope beyond all hopes. And so, there I was, beyond hope, with a busload of teenagers. The teen, teen leaders kind of got off the bus and we gathered together and we scratched our heads and finally one leader had an idea. He said, you know, maybe we should pray. I thought, oh, that's okay. Well, that's what else are we going to do? Let's do that. Let's, let's, let's pray. I wish it was my idea, almighty bus captain, but it wasn't. So we got on the bus and we gathered all the students. We got them to the back of the bus and we said, let's just gather together and let's call out to God. And that's what the students did. In their, in their just innocent, trusting way, they called out to God and believed. And I no word of a lie. When the last amen was said, another bus pulled up right behind our bus. And the bus was empty. It was a charter bus. 
And so our bus driver got out and talked to their bus driver, and they had words and all those sort of things. We discovered it was a charter bus. By insurance, they weren't allowed to take students, but our bus driver gave them 500 bucks, what we would call a Pentecostal handshake, right? <laughs> and soon enough, all of our kids got onto that bus, and they made it to their next destination. It was amazing. It was a miracle. I'm not making this up. But there was still a problem. We had other destinations we had to get to after that, so we had to fix the bus. So I appointed somebody to be the lieutenant bus captain and I says, you take this bus and you go down and you wait for us, find a McDonald's or a place to swim or something and wait for us there. We'll figure out how to fix the bus. I stayed behind with the bus driver. I says, I don't know what to do. He says, well, prayer seemed to work. I said, yeah, it did seem to work. Okay, let's pray. So he and I prayed together there on the side of the road. He said that he could fix the bus. He said, I, I, it's just an air shock. I can fix it here on the side of the road. I got all my tools. We just need to find the right air shock. Now, here's the thing. It was an old bus, like a really old bus, a rare model of a bus. And the closest place to us was Hope, B.C., which is a town of about 3,000 people. So I said, okay, we've prayed. I'll go and he gave me the, the part and what it was I needed. I ran down the hill a few miles into Hope, B.C., right? Looking all over. This is in the 90s, right? I'm looking all over for a phone booth, right? Found a phone booth. Open this thing, it's called the Yellow Pages. I don't know if you know what it is, but we opened it up to Yellow Pages, flipping through for bus companies and truck companies. And I just start calling them. But the problem is it's like 4.45 p.m. Everything's closing. Closed, 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 closed. Finally, I got a hold of a bus, a truck company, trucking company. I said, listen, we're looking for this part, for this bus. He says, you know what? I have that same bus sitting in my driveway. The exact same bus. And I have one air shock surplus inventory. Exactly the part you need. It was crazy. It really was crazy. So anyway, I ran across Hope to where he was. He stayed open for me, got the part, took a taxi back. We had the bus fixed, and we met up with the rest of the team within four hours. It was an amazing miracle. I learned that when you are beyond hope, you discover that there is a God who will not leave you stranded, a God who raises the dead, a God who gives you hope beyond all hopes when all is lost, we must hold on to hope. Friends, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the believer's ultimate hope. It is the hope that we will hold on to when all other hopes fail in this life. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is for us our living hope. And because he lives, we will live also. And we have hope in this life, but not only hope in this life, but we have hope in the life to come. Why is the resurrection of Jesus Christ our living hope? What's the big deal? Why, why is it something that's worth holding on to? Well, for just a couple of moments, for a couple of minutes, I just want to remind you of what you already know. First of all, it is the guarantee of the finished work of the cross. It is guarantees that when Jesus said on the cross, it is finished, it was in fact finished. It is the remedy for our fear of death. Jesus rose victorious over sin, death, and the grave. Death has lost its sting. It is the proof of Christ's deity and authority. The resurrection is the authentication that everything Jesus said about himself is true. 
It is the pattern of our future spiritual bodies. Jesus will transform our broken, lowly bodies so that we can become like his glorious body. It is the conduit, the conduit of power for believers. This incomparably great power that raised Jesus from the dead is available now for those of us who believe. It is a catalyst of the new heaven and new earth. So when the sons and daughters of God are finally resurrected, then the end of all things will come. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Every, right will, every wrong will be made right. God's justice will be established and peace will reign on the earth in a new heaven and new earth. And it is the driving force behind our witness. You know, the early church did not proclaim a crucified savior. They proclaimed a risen one. Jesus is alive. And because he lives, we will live also. And that this life, this eternal, abundant life is available to all. All can find new life in him. And maybe you're here this morning and you're wondering to yourself, how can I get this hope? How can I find this hope? Do you know that you can begin a relationship today with the living God? No matter who you are, no matter where you've come from, no matter what you've done, God knows you and he accepts you and he welcomes you and he calls you by name and he knows you and he loves you and he died so that your sins may be forgiven and he was raised new to new life so that you might receive new life. That you, today you can begin again with Jesus. You can step into his resurrected life and you can hold on to hope. And where does it begin? How does it start? It begins simply by acknowledging, God, I need you. So it begins by putting your faith and your trust in Christ to save you and to surrender your life to him that you might receive his life. And this morning as we close, I want to I give you an opportunity to do that today. Whether you're watching online at, at home or, or whether you're here and you have never had that opportunity to receive the Christ into your life, I want to give you that opportunity this morning. I, I, I'd like to invite you to pray with me. And I, I just want to give you an opportunity to, to respond to this life. So why don't we pray? Why don't we pray together? Um, and maybe you're here today and you are hearing and, and you're saying, yes, I, I want to begin again with God. You simply have to do this. So you, you pray and you say, God, I realize that I need you more than ever. And you can pray this. You can say, Father, forgive me for all that I've done. Father, I know that I can't save myself. Thank you for dying for me, Jesus. And I receive you into my life. I surrender my life to you. And thank you for the promise that if I confess, you are faithful to forgive me. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for inviting me in to your life. Help me now to walk with you in resurrected life. And Father, for those who, who made that first-time commitment today to follow you, I pray that that seed that's planted would grow and would blossom and, and would produce new life and a harvest. And I thank you for the promise of new life. And give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, some of you may be here in, or online and you may be saying, I'm not quite ready for that. I'm not ready to make that step. I want to want to make that step, but I'm not quite ready for that. And that's okay. I've been there. Can I, can I just encourage you to, 
to dig deeper, to investigate, to explore the faith. And we would be glad to help you to do that, to help you discover who was this person, Jesus. I think that's the most important question on the planet today. Who was Jesus? And I hope that you would explore deeper with us, and we'd like to, love, like to help you do that. But then there are some of us this morning, you're just barely holding on to hope. You're barely grasping it. And you don't want to loosen your grip. Would you allow this morning hope to rise up in your hearts? Would you allow hope to, to grow and to birth newness of life in you this morning? Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.